Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. All right, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. You can grab your Bible and meet me there. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1091 in that Bible. And we are a few weeks into our series that we've called Ecclesia, Lessons from the Book of Acts. Ecclesia is the Greek word uh, commonly translated as church. It means a gathering, a community. And so we are just moving through the Book of Acts and seeing what can it teach us about being a community and being the church that God has called us to be. This was the beginning of the church as the Spirit is poured out and as uh, this group of believers begins to take the gospel of Jesus in their mission uh, to see it spread to the ends of the earth. And so we learn a lot about what church was like in the very beginning and things that it can teach us as we uh, navigate being a church now in the 21st century much later. So we're just going to be moving through Acts for the next couple of months. This will take us to the summer. Uh, we're not going to get too far. We'll get a couple of chapters in and then we'll come back to it again at a later date. So when Sarah and I got married, we had a generous benefactor come along and say, we would like to send you on your honeymoon which was good because I had a wedding plan, but I had no honeymoon plan financially. And so someone came along and just said, we would like to give you this gift. We'd like to bless you with this and we'd like you to go, you know, where you want to go. And so we looked around at different options and checked out different things and we decided to go to Hawaii because we thought we're never going to go there again in our life, probably. So if you're paying, that's where we would love to go. And so we went specifically to Kauai, which is one of the smaller islands. And a lot of movies have been shot there. And so uh, you, we did a helicopter tour one day. And it's like, oh, that's where they shot Jurassic Park. And there's Raiders of the Lost Ark. And there's Tropic Thunder. And all these big Hollywood movies were shot there. And so when you're getting ready for your wedding, uh, a lot of people, when they're getting married, like you're excited about the wedding day. But everyone's more excited about the honeymoon. Because the wedding itself is stressful. The honeymoon is vacation. And so you're kind of sprinting for that point. And maybe you've been on vacations in your life where you, you know, you're going somewhere and there's a buildup and then you get there and it's kind of like, uh, that's not really what I thought. This, you know, this campground isn't how they advertised it. This hotel doesn't match the brochure. Kauai is nothing like that at all. Kauai is a place that so exceeds your expectations. If anyone ever comes along to give you a free vacation like I got, I encourage you to take it and go to Kauai. And it's just beyond beautiful. It's physical beauty like you've never seen. Uh, the, the weather is perfect. The people are amazing. Like, it was such an incredible thing. It was one of those seasons in life where you get there and you're like, wow, this actually greatly exceeds all of my expectations. It doesn't just meet them. It goes so far beyond that. And as we are going through the book of Acts, what we are seeing, and we're going to dive into today, is that the people of God have been waiting and waiting and waiting for the Messiah. And Jesus so exceeded their expectations of what the Messiah was going to be like. And now as Jesus has died and risen again and returned to heaven, the age of the Holy Spirit is breaking out. And the age of the Holy Spirit is going to so exceed the expectations that the people of God had been waiting for. Last week we took a look at the first part of Acts chapter 2, which is the church, uh, the early believers are gathered together. They are praying together. They've been praying intently for 10 days. They've been praying for God to move. 
Jesus had said, don't go anywhere till the Holy Spirit comes. So they are praying and praying and praying. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out. They are all filled with the Spirit. There is a sound of a mighty rushing wind. They see visibly what seem to be tongues of fire uh, resting on each person. And different languages begin to come out of people's mouths. They begin speaking in other languages, other tongues that they don't know. And as that happens, a crowd begins to gather because it is feast time in Jerusalem. There is a pilgrimage that has happened. There are people in Jerusalem, Jewish people from all over the world. And so they hear their own hometown languages being spoken, and it catches their attention. And so they all come together, and they're trying to figure out what this all means. So let's take a look at our text today, continuing on in the story. We're in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we will continue on in this uh, sermon over the next couple of weeks, Peter's address here, but we're just going to do it in chunks because it's kind of long. And so this is the first part of Peter getting up. And when the Holy Spirit comes in the way we looked at last week, no one has ever witnessed that before. This is a brand new occurrence. The Holy Spirit has certainly moved many times before, but it's never come upon a group in this way where everybody is filled, everyone's speaking in other languages. This is the first time this has happened. And so as the crowd is gathering and saying, what does this mean? We are hearing the glories of God declared in our own languages. What are we to do with this? Peter stands up to tell them exactly what is going on. And it's really technically the first sermon of this new ecclesia, this new church this new gathering. Uh, Jesus has preached lots, and the apostles even have preached before, but this is the first sermon of the new church. This is the first explanation of the gospel that has happened in the power of the Spirit, in the baptism of the Spirit. And so Peter stands up to help make sense of what is going on. And so as he does, verse 14, he stands up with the eleven, the eleven apostles. He raises his voice, and he addresses the crowd. Peter often serves as a bit of a spokesperson for the apostles. Usually in the gospels, if one of the disciples is talking, it's usually Peter. And so he seems to sort of unofficially have been kind of the spokesperson for the group. Uh, and not that he was the only one that had something to say, but he's often the one, you know, there's some of us are talkers, right? Some of us are not. Uh, Peter seems to be a talker. And so he stands up and he's going to be the spokesperson in this moment. He says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. As the crowd had come together, uh, that was one of the accusations. They heard all these languages. It must have sounded a bit like just kind of babbling or noise, or it might have sounded a little chaotic. And so some of the crowd is saying, they're just drunk. It's just drunken behavior. 
And so as Peter starts off, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, as we mentioned last week, uh, they are in Jerusalem, which is the Jewish city. It is a Jewish festival time, and Jewish people from all over the world have gathered together. Uh, so there's not a lot of non-believers in the area right now, and there's not a lot of non-Jewish people, which we would call Gentiles. There's not a lot of Gentiles in the area either. And so when Peter stands up, he's acknowledging, I am speaking to a Jewish audience right now. And he's going to preach, actually, a very Jewish message. He's going to call upon the Jewish scriptures. He's going to call upon the Jewish heroes. He's going to give a very Jewish kind of theological explanation of what is coming. And there's just a good little kind of side point in there of just whenever we're sharing Jesus with anybody, it's good to know who we're talking to. It's good to know who the audience is. A little later in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul is going to be speaking in Athens. And he is speaking to non-Jews who don't read their Bibles. They don't believe in the Jewish scriptures. And so when he's explaining Jesus to them, he doesn't quote scripture there because they don't know the scripture and they don't believe in the scripture. And so he takes a very different tact. He finds a different way in in order to share Jesus there. So as Peter is saying, hey, I'm speaking to my Jewish brothers and sisters. So because we're all on the same page here, I can lean on the scriptures. I can tell Jewish stories. I can put this all together uh, because I know who I'm talking to. So just as a sidebar, as we're sharing Jesus, we can know who our audience is. And as the, you know, again, there must have been something about what happened at Pentecost as the Spirit came and as these languages came, you sort of get the impression that everyone's kind of talking at once and there was something about it that seemed a little chaotic and, and so Peter's saying, no, they're not drunk. You guys are thinking they're drunk. It's nine in the morning. I mean, not that you can't be <laughs> drunk at nine in the morning, but the implication seems to be this is not, we're not drinking wine this early, guys. There, there is something very, very different going on here. And as he begins to unpack what is happening, uh, in verse 16, he says, No, it's not drunkenness. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And there is something so beautiful about this, that as God is doing something completely new, as God is up to something that, that the apostles have never seen before, uh, that Jesus maybe didn't specifically explain was going to happen in that way with languages and different things, that the crowd certainly aren't sure what's going on. How do we make sense of what God is up to? Let's get into the Word of God. If we want to make sense of what God is up to, we get into the Word. We look to the Scripture. What does the Bible say? And so the first thing out of Peter's mouth, other than we're not drunk right now, is let's turn to the Word. Let's see what the Bible says. And that is true for us as well. As we are navigating life, as we are wrestling with tough questions, as we are going through our lives, and as we are walking with him and trying to walk in a way that pleases him, how do we make sense of what God is up to in our lives? How do we answer tough questions? How do we navigate the tricky stuff? Well, we start with the Word of God. We start there. And what does the Word of God say? We believe in the inspired, infallible Word of God. And uh, we also would trust that, you know, Scripture is sometimes called the canon, the canon of Scripture. And the word canon comes from a Latin word which literally means the measuring rod, like the ruler by which you measure things. And so that's a great picture of God's Word for our life, that it is the, the measuring, it is the ruler by which we measure everything else in life. And whatever else is going on and whatever it is we are going through, we are constantly coming back to the scripture. What does God have to say in his word about what is going on here? And so as Peter stands up, I mean, he, he 
presumably has not had time necessarily to leaf through his Bible or, you know, go to his commentaries or search the internet for what am I going to say in this message I'm about to speak. But in the power of the Spirit, he stands up, and, and it's such an important thing to note that Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to come and remind you of everything that God has taught. The Holy Spirit will come and remind you. The Spirit will remind you of the Word of God. But the thing is, you have to have the Word of God in there so he can remind you of it. If we don't know the Word of God, if we're not reading the Word of God, he can't remind us of what's not in there. And so our job is to have this in there, because in the moment when the Spirit is moving and the crowds are saying, what's going on, Peter has Joel right there. He understands, okay, the Holy Spirit brings to mind and gives the understanding, no, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And Joel's a prophet we actually don't know very much about. He's part of what's called the minor prophets. There's major prophets and minor prophets. And that's not about some are more important than others. They're all equally inspired. But it's just some of the books are bigger and some of the books are smaller. So the bigger books like Isaiah, Jeremiah are major prophets. The minor books like Joel and, and Daniel and Jonah are the minor prophets. And so jo Joel doesn't actually tell us a whole lot about who he is. So some of the other prophets, we say, oh, we know that one was a shepherd, and we know that one was the son of a prophet, and we know this and that. We don't know much about Joel. It's a very short book. And in his book, which is just a few chapters long, uh, there is a warning to Israel, as many of the prophets do. There is a warning of judgment to come, specifically a, a plague of locusts that is coming. Uh, there is a promise from God that he'll redeem what the locusts have taken away. And then there is this great end times promise that in the last days... God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And as this is all unfolding under the revelation of the spirit, Peter says, aha, that is what we are seeing. We are seeing the promise of God fulfilled here today. And there are promises about the Messiah that Israel has been waiting for, and they have seen fulfilled in Jesus. There's a promise of resurrection and the forgiveness of sins that they have seen now fulfilled in Jesus. And there is this promise that the gospel, that this, this message is going to go to the ends of the earth, not just Israel. And they're beginning to see that fulfilled. And then there's this promise that the Holy Spirit is going to come on all people. And they are seeing this fulfilled starting that day. And so the, the promise that they have been waiting for is coming to pass. And I mean, in the last few years, if you're living in Israel at that time, if you're Peter, man, have you seen a lot of promises fulfilled in a very short amount of time. You have seen things that Israel has been waiting for for thousands of years coming to pass in your lifetime in a few short, in a few short years. And so you've seen the Messiah, you've seen his death, you've seen the resurrection, you've seen the forgiveness of sins, and now in the last days, God's pouring out his spirit on all people. You're seeing that happen before your eyes and Peter stands up and boldly proclaims that it says we are seeing the promise of God fulfilled and this ecclesia this new gathering of people this church that is coming together this community that is coming together is becoming the place where the promises of God are fulfilled and proclaimed and experienced that if you're outside the church, you don't have the forgiveness of sins. If you're outside the church, you don't have this filling of the Spirit. But the church becomes, this is the community where God's promises are fulfilled. The Apostle Paul would put it this way in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For now, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. In Jesus, every promise of God gets fulfilled and released. And because of what he did at the cross and what he did in his resurrection, in him, every promise that we see in the Old Testament is completely filled and released through the church because of him. 
Not because of what we've done or what we've earned or even how we've prayed, but because of his grace and his goodness. In Jesus, every promise gets fulfilled and gets released to us, his people, who are part of this community called the ecclesia. And as this community, we are the ones who experience the forgiveness of sins. We are the ones who experience the Holy Spirit. We are the ones who know the, the God who died and who rose again and give testimony to that, that in the church, as we pray for one another, we see the promises of God fulfilled as we stand together and lean on one another and call upon him together. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Amen as a word just, it means truth, literally. Uh, and it sometimes gets translated as let it be so or I agree. And so when we're preaching or when someone says something and we say amen, we are saying agreed. That is truth. Let it be so. I'm on board. Amen? Amen. amen. And so because we are this community where the promises of God are being fulfilled and displayed, we just add our amen to everything that God wants to do, to everything that he said in his word, to everything that he wants to lead us in by his spirit. We add our amen to that, to the glory of God. That's what the community of faith does. The ecclesia says, amen, Lord, do what you want to do. So the prophet Joel had prophesied about 800 years before all this is happening, in the last days, God says. And when we think of last days, we often think of like end times, right? The, the phrases do kind of go together. But the last days started on the day of Pentecost. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. And so the last days are a bit different than the end times. And, and Matthew 24 would talk about the end times, certainly the book of Revelation, uh, 1 Thessalonians. There's stuff in different places in the New Testament, Old Testament as well, about what's going to happen in the end times. And there's going to be an escalation, certainly it seems, of uh, of persecution, an escalation of natural disasters, like the, the, the creation's going to go into birth pangs, Paul talks about in Romans. And so there are very uh, different views, obviously, of what that's all going to look like. But there is a difference between last days and end times. And so end times is when we're talking about the end of days, the, the tribulation, anything in that area before Christ returns. But the last days, Peter says, start right now on the day of pentecost we're in the last days now because the prophet joel said in the last days i will pour out my spirit the spirit is being poured out so we're in the last days now and in that sense what the last days means is we're in the last phase of god's plan before he returns there are no more covenants to come there are no more scriptures to come the last phase of God's plan, you know, if you look through scripture, God had a plan at the beginning in the garden, and then when man fell, there was a plan that got us to the flood, and then when uh, we got through that, there was the law given, and there was a plan with Israel, and then there was a plan with Jesus and his death and resurrection, and so there's been kind of different phases that have been unfolding since Eden, but we're now in the last phase of God's plan, which is Jesus has died, he has risen from the dead, he has won the victory, and the last phase is that God's going to pour out his spirit on everybody the gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth and then jesus will return so there's nothing more we're waiting for than that there's not another level to this still coming we're in the last phase it's lasted a long time we're 2000 plus years in but we're in that last phase right now 
And, and Romans and other places talks about that, you know, that the gospel has to go. It has to be preached everywhere. Uh, the full number of salvations has to come in. Uh, and when that happens, then the end will come. And so we are still in this kind of tension-based in-between phase of knowing who we are, knowing where we're going, knowing what's coming, and yet not being there yet. And knowing who we are in Christ, being filled with the Spirit, knowing that heaven is our home, knowing his presence, knowing the truth, and yet still living in this broken, sinful, evil world. And so we, we are in this kind of in-between place right now. Uh, the end is still coming. I won't presume to know when or where or how, because Jesus said we're not to worry about that piece. But it's, it's a separate idea than the fact that we're in the last days. We're in the last days because there is nothing more God's going to reveal to us. We're in the last phase of his plan to redeem the world. And so as the Spirit comes, verse 17 in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Up until this point in history, God has been dealing primarily with Israel. Primarily, that has been the people that he has revealed himself to. There are times where uh, people outside the Jewish people in the Old Testament will have an encounter with God. But primarily, he is dealing with the Jewish people. The prophets are Jewish. The apostles are Jewish. Uh, the revelation that is coming, we believe the whole Bible was written by Jewish people, with the exception of maybe Luke, because Luke, uh, we're just not sure if he was Jewish or a Gentile. But God has been speaking to Israel. That's how he's been revealing himself through his word to the world. Uh, they are the ones that he has chosen as his chosen people. They are the only nation that he has chosen as his chosen people. But in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That this thing really is going global. That this is not just about Israel. And Israel will always be his chosen people. They will always be the apple of his eye. He will always have a special place in his heart for them. Uh, Romans uses the language of they're kind of the firstborn, naturalborn children of God. The rest of us have kind of been ab adopted in. Uh, we've been welcomed into the family, but we're not blood. But by his grace, he has brought us in. But the Spirit is not just coming on Israel anymore. It's not just going to be coming upon a few different, you know, Jewish prophets. The Spirit is going to be coming on everybody, and it's going to go all over the world. And what we're seeing at Pentecost is people from different nations, even though they're Jewish, are coming in, and this Holy Spirit thing is going to start to spread, and it's going to start very quickly to cross the line outside of Israel, and people who who have never known Jehovah, who've never known the Lord, are going to start to be welcomed into his family because of what Jesus has done. And the Spirit is going to be moving upon everybody. This thing is going to go nationally. And as we uh, look at the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Testament, again, is primarily about Israel. Um, but also, the Old Testament, uh, the Holy Spirit moves very differently. We did a series on the Holy Spirit a couple years ago where we unpacked this in a bit more depth. But just very simply, the Spirit, Holy Spirit was not for everybody in the Old Testament. He didn't come upon everybody in the Old Testament. He came upon a few people, a few people who were called prophets, and he would come and he would bring a revelation, he would, he would share something from heaven, uh, he would come upon them and he could leave them. And so if you really wanted to hear God's voice in the Old Testament, you needed to go find a prophet. You needed to find someone who had that connection with God because you didn't have that connection. And if you wanted to be right with God, if you wanted to pray to God or repent to God, you had to go find a priest. And the priest would stand in the gap for you and offer up sacrifices for you. You didn't approach God on your own. 
And so we talk about faith in God as very much the language of, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus, right? You've heard that phrase. Do you have a personal, how's your personal walk with him? We take that so for granted, not realizing that for thousands of years, the people of faith didn't have that. It wasn't really a personal relationship with God. They didn't have that Holy Spirit connection to heaven. You had to listen to the people who you knew had that connection. Or you had to pray through those priests who were called by God specifically to do that. But you didn't approach God on your own. You didn't hear from God on your own. You didn't know God's presence. You didn't have that understanding of the word that we can have today. There is so much that we have that we just so take for granted that for thousands of years the people of faith were saying, oh, wouldn't it be great just to know God personally? And one of the prophecies is in the Old Testament is that day will come when everyone will know the Lord on their own. Everyone will have that connection. And so there's this anticipation in the Old Testament. Wouldn't it be great if one day we could all just come boldly before the throne? Wouldn't it be great one day if we could all hear his voice and we could all sense his presence and we could all feel him guiding us and convicting us and nudging us and leading us? They didn't have that for generations. And so they are looking to the word of God, these prophecies of the Old Testament, and looking at Joel's words and going, wow, one day the Holy Spirit's not just going to be on a couple of people that you go and they talk to God for you, but everybody's going to have that. Everyone's going to have that, that intimacy and that connection with God. And so we're living in this amazing last day's time where you have the Holy Spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you can have more if you want it, and you can seek that filling and seek that connection. You can get better at hearing his voice. You can get better at sensing his presence. You can go deeper in your communion and your connection with him. They didn't have that, but they were anticipating that. And so there were generations of people devoted to the Lord who wanted what you have now. They wanted what you have freely by his grace, the promised Holy Spirit. Joel wrote this, we think, somewhere around 800 years before the day of Pentecost happened. So for 800 years, the people of God are saying, someday we're all going to have that connection that those few prophets have right now. Someday that's going to be for all of us. And verse 17 continues, the prophecy says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Again, when you've grown up, uh, if you're a Jewish person in the Old Testament, this idea that there's just a few people who connect with the Holy Spirit. There's a few people who have that lifeline to God. They are almost entirely men. Uh, there's a couple of women who are given the name prophet in the Old Testament, but very, very few. And then this promise comes up that says it's going to be for everybody and your sons and your daughters. It's not going to be abstract. Even in your family, you're going to see this. And your young men will walk in this. And your old men will walk in this. They will prophesy. And there's a lot to that word, prophesy, prophecy. And it's one of the spiritual gifts. And at its most basic level, it just means hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying and, and acting it out or speaking it out. Like having that connection where you know what God wants and, and being willing to, to step out into that. It's one of the gifts that gets unpacked a fair bit in 1 Corinthians. And so we believe in the gift very much. But if you, again, if you're a Jewish person in the Old Testament, the prophets are so revered 
Like, you listen to what they say because they speak for God. They are the ones who have that communion and that connection with him. You don't have it in the same way. And so they are the ones who hear from God. To disobey the prophet is to disobey God. And so they were put very high on a pedestal. These are kind of the spiritual giants in our midst. And we need to listen to what they have to say. And that was rightly so, because they did hear the word of the Lord. But this prophecy is saying, yeah, that thing that you so put on a pedestal, that communion with God that you wished you have, that you don't have, that connection with him, that ability to hear his voice, that sense of his presence, that's going to be for everybody. Everybody can have that. Not just the few. That's going to everybody. And it's your sons and your daughters. Ladies, you are filled with the Spirit on an equal par with men. Like, that's part of the promise, where, you know what, it was, you know, 98%, I'm making that up that percentage, but the predominant Old Testament model is men are prophets, with a couple of women in there as well, but it's almost entirely on the men. This idea that the Holy Spirit's going to come, men and women, you will all equally prophesy, is a totally new idea that is a game-changer. And that women, you will equally be filled with the Spirit, and you will equally hear God's voice, and you will equally prophesy. It's going to come on the men and the women. It's going to come on the young and the old. It's going to be something that, you know, if you're young, you don't get dismissed because, well, you're just too young to, to know what God wants or, uh, or what he's like. I've had the experience with my kids where I go, man, holy wisdom just came out of your mouths. Like, the word of the Lord just came out of there. And they don't know maybe that that happened, but I heard the Lord speak through my kids loud and clear that it doesn't matter if you're young because the Holy Spirit will bring revelation. And if you're older and you feel like, well, I'm kind of done, I'm kind of retired, no, you're not. Because your old men will dream dreams. Like, you, the Holy Spirit is not done with you. He's not done speaking to you. You're not done walking with him. That whether you're old or you're young, the Holy Spirit is coming. Whether you're male or you're female, the Holy Spirit is coming. Whether you're Jew or you're Gentile, the Holy Spirit is coming. He is coming on everybody. And this is the promise being fulfilled that they have been waiting for. Verse 18, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. A little Downton Abbey shout out for those of you up there. On my servants, both men and women, and in the Hebrew of Joel's prophecy, the word servant there doesn't mean servant in the sense of like, well, we're all servants of the Lord and we're called to serve one another. Uh, it's not in that sense. It, it's the same word that gets used as worker or slave. And the picture is, no, like the servants, like the workers. And again, in a time in the Old Testament when the prophets were, you know, often had the courts of kings or King David was a prophet who was wealthy and very high up. And there could be a picture of kind of the prophets are way up here and most of the rest of us are kind of down here. It's like, no. So there's, there's going to be no distinguishing if you're Jew or Gentile, there's going to be no distinguishing if you're man or woman. There's going to be no distinguishing if you're old or young. There's going to be no distinguishing whether you're educated or uneducated, whether you're wealthy or whether you're poor, whether you're, you know, white collar or blue collar. The Spirit is coming equally upon everybody. There's the great equalizer of the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And in this ecclesia that is being formed and that we are all a part of, there is this understanding like, yeah, it that doesn't matter your station in life. It doesn't matter, uh, you know, where you were born into. It doesn't matter if you've gone to school or not gone to school. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. The Holy Spirit in you is what matters. The Holy Spirit doing his work in you is all that matters. We knew a missionary uh, who would go to China from the Pentecostal church, 
And he was honestly, I don't know if he graduated grade four. Like he just had a, he grew up on a farm, dropped out of school really, really young. Just had a very simplistic way. He didn't read very well. And so like in an educated sense, he just wasn't educated at all. And yet when he would pray for you, you couldn't help but weep. I don't care who you were. Because the, the anointing, the power of God that was on him. And, and so that's the kind of thing that, that, you know, Joel's trying to level and that Peter is affirming here that, you know, it's not about where you're at in life. It's not about educated. If you went to Bible college or not, I've had so many people say over the years, you know, I didn't go to Bible college. I don't have the answers for people when they ask questions. I said, if you didn't go to Bible college, your head's not full of some nonsense as well, though, right? Like you're, you're clear of a lot of stuff. And the apostle Paul was a really well-educated apostle. But the book of Acts makes clear, like, Peter and John amazed the crowds because they were uneducated. They were unschooled. They were fishermen. They shouldn't have the knowledge and wisdom that they had. They didn't study for that. But the Holy Spirit in them gave them wisdom, gave them the knowledge, gave them what they needed. And so the Holy Spirit is breaking down barriers on every level, coming against all of these things, binding us together into one community where we say, doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, you can hear from God. Doesn't matter if you're old or young, you are filled with the Spirit. Doesn't matter your station in life, you have the wisdom of the Lord if the Lord is working in your life and if he is speaking to you. As the prophecy continues, verse 19, I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. This is what we call apocalyptic language. And it shows up in a few different places. Revelation's the most famous one. Uh, obviously, it's a book of apocalyptic vision. So there's lots of, you know, things happening in the sky and stars and dragons and angels and all sorts of things. We see some of it in the book of Daniel and in Ezekiel as well. And so apocalyptic language might be literal, uh, but it can also just be very symbolic. And so there was a lot of talk a couple years ago, you might remember about blood moons, uh, because there was, it's actually a phenomenon called the blood moon, where the moon shows up red. So it was two or three years ago that was happening. And so people were going, oh, that's the prophecy being fulfilled. And it could be. I'm not saying that it's not. Uh, but often as we approach apocalyptic language, we say, uh, so yeah, there might literally be fireballs going off in the sky and things on earth. It also might just be a way of saying there's going to be chaos. There's going to be upturning. Uh, there's going to be trials. There's going to be disasters. Uh, it might not literally mean the moon's just going to go red or the sun's going to do whatever. It could mean that. It just might not literally mean that. It's sometimes viewed as a way of just saying, yeah, there's going to be things happening that are obvious signs that God is at work. And so uh, that's just something for us to continue to wrestle with as we go through this. But it says that kind of thing is going to happen before the, the great and glorious day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord in the New Testament typically is referring to the day that Jesus comes back. The day of the Lord is the day that he returns. And it shows up in a few different spots that before Jesus comes, there's going to be upheaval, whether it's literally things blowing up in the sky or whether it just means there's going to be trials and difficulties and struggles. But there will be an escalation of that before Christ returns. And, and we see that in Matthew 24, uh, book of Revelation, certainly, that there's going to be some of that going on that is just going to be a way of just reminding those of us who are faithful, okay, Jesus told us this was going to happen. We can press through this. We can persevere. Jesus promised that these things were on the way. Before the day of the Lord, it seems from Scripture things are going to get worse before they get better. Just like in a labor, things get worse before they get better, right? 
And the scripture uses the language of labor, that creation is travailing, like there is something going on. And there's an escalation in labor. The pains get worse. The pains get excruciating. And then new life comes. And before Jesus fully restores the life that he's promised us with a new heavens and a new earth, there is going to be some of that turmoil. Until we get there, as Satan has his last, you know, fling of trying to hold on to any uh, semblance of authority or power that he thinks he has, and before he's overturned for good, and then then we're done uh, when the day of the Lord comes. So we are in the last phase of God's plan, heading towards this day of the Lord. The prophecy finishes, verse 21, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's the gospel. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And again, just in the context of the prophecy, doesn't matter if you're Jewish or not. Doesn't matter if you're male or female or old or young uh, or, or, you know, a highborn or a worker or wherever we are at in life. It is available to everyone. The gospel comes for everyone. The invitation from heaven is to everyone. That says, come and follow Jesus. Put your trust in him. Turn away from your sin and walk with him. Honor him as Lord. And as you follow him as Lord, you will follow him into eternity. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you haven't done that yet, do it. Call upon his name. Salvation is available for everyone. And that's one of those sentences, just very simply, there's a lot more to the gospel than that, but that's a pretty good gospel in a sentence, that there is this invitation coming to the world. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, the invitation is there, and, and it is on us to respond or not. The gospel's going global, as we've said before, and we're seeing just the first steps of that on the day of Pentecost, that even as the language is, you know, the area is not that big that these people have come from in pilgrimage. It's, it's a, you know, a few different nations around Israel. But as they are coming in, and as the apostles are there getting filled with the Spirit, they're getting ready to go out, and Jesus is going to start very quickly to move beyond the boundaries of Israel, and God's going to start doing this thing in his last phase plan to bring Jesus to the world as he wants to redeem everybody. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. The gospel will be preached to all people in all nations, and we get to see the beginning of that on the day of Pentecost. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done. We have an email address uh, here at Meadowbrook that we created just to chat about the sermons. And so it's questions at meadowbrook.ca. So if you have questions about the message today, if you'd like to grab a coffee or sit down, we're very happy to do that uh, and just be keeping that conversation going and being able to unpack more than we can unpack in a half hour on a Sunday morning. We're very happy to do that. So for us just to mull over as we go about our week this week, uh, we challenge you the last couple of weeks, it'll be a continual challenge of just saying, okay, so where is the Holy Spirit at work in your life? Where are you seeking the filling of the Spirit? Where are you, you know, practicing following his leading and hearing his voice? Where are you opening yourself up for him to show you where the sin is in your life and convict you of that? Where is the Holy Spirit moving and where are you actively seeking him? Because one of the things we see pretty clearly in the book of Acts, he is the one who does the work. The apostles make themselves available, but he is the one that convicts of sin. He's the one that reveals Jesus. He's the one that provides the power and the miracles. He does all the heavy lifting. We make ourselves available, but we do need to make ourselves available. So where do we see the Spirit moving in our life? Where are we seeking the filling? Uh, where are we stepping out maybe in faith in a new way? That's part of what we need to be mulling over. We need to enjoy the, the, just the fact 
that we get to walk in that promise that we get to see, not just that promise, every promise made that in Christ is yes and amen. We get to walk in the promise that the people of God for generations were hoping for. And let us never ever take that for granted, that we get to experience communion with God. We get to experience our sins forgiven. We get to boldly come before the throne of grace because of what Jesus done. And there were very many devout and God-fearing people for generations who didn't get that, who were hoping for that, who were reading those scriptures and praying for that day to come. We get to be the community where the promises of God are being fulfilled. And so let's be grateful. Let's enjoy every promise that he's given. Let's seek to walk in every promise that he's given. Let's not take for granted what they wanted, but that we get to experience. And let's ourselves be patient while we're waiting sometimes for the promises to be fulfilled in our life. Because the Jewish people waited 800 years for that one to come to pass. And we're all waiting for something. So let us be patient in our waiting. Let us be patient in affliction and persecution. Let us be patient and pressing into the Lord, looking at days like Pentecost and everything surrounding it and saying, oh, it doesn't always happen as quick as we would like. It probably didn't happen as quick as Israel would have wanted, but God is faithful in doing what he said he would do. And we, come, we become the ecclesia, the community that gives testimony to that. Part of our story is God is faithful. And we are the community where his promises are fulfilled. We're going to worship a little bit more before we go. I'll ask you to stand to your feet. Join us in singing, and then we'll wrap up in prayer. Father, we just are, when we reflect on the whole history of your engagement with humanity from Eden up until today, uh, to be allowed to be people who are part of the new covenant, who are walking in the promises fulfilled, who get to walk in the things that other people only dreamed of and only longed for. Uh, it is a, an honor. It is a humbling thing. It is a fearful thing in some ways because we too have to be faithful to walk in what you have given us. We have uh, been given much and to whom much is given, much will be expected. So help us to be faithful on our end, Lord to walk out the power of what you have given us, to walk out the promises that are fulfilled in us, to be grateful and to be humble and to be worshipful as we acknowledge everything that you have done. And we pray, Father, that uh, for every person here, that there would just be more, Lord, more understanding of your word, more of a, a sense of your presence, more a clarity in our discernment and hearing your voice, more of your power, Holy Spirit, at work in our lives to make us pure and to make us holy and to set us free and to see the spiritual gifts moving through us that everybody would have more and that'll look different person by person but that more would come father that as we seek and press into you as we diligently seek you that you would meet us as we draw near to you lord you would draw near to us that we would be able to walk in the fullness of the promise that was promised and fulfilled beginning at pentecost that we would be able to see all of it father and that we would walk in it with great humility, great carefulness, uh, but that we would walk in what you've given us, Lord. Thank you that we are a people of the promise, a community of the promises of God fulfilled. And we will continue to praise you as the faithful God who fulfills his promises, who brings his word and his will to pass. We honor you, Lord God, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'd love to pray with you. Come on forward. If you're not gonna pray, we'll ask you to visit outside.